Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. How are you guys doing? It's good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Ruben. I'm one of the elders here at Crosspoint. I'm thankful to God for the opportunity to worship Him this morning as we open uh, His Word. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, we've got our kids in here. Um, I was talking to somebody. I said, uh, the American church has been so conditioned uh, to sit in the church in the sanctuary without our, our children. When I was growing up in Africa, you know, we used to sit in the congregation, in the church, and the services in Africa lasted at least four hours. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm thankful and uh, grateful to God. So let's be gracious to each other. Let's be patient uh, with the screaming children. Um, God is good. He's worthy. And uh, we are going to worship him as we look at this word. So, all right. So many thanks to Robert and Tyler for leading us the past three weeks as we were looking at the, uh, the office of prophet, priest, and king in the, in the Bible as it relates to who Jesus Christ is. So I'm obviously preaching today. Uh, and then God be willing, in the next uh, week, uh, Jay Hearn, one of our lay elders, he'll be preaching. And then uh, Brad, our, our pastor preaching and teaching, he'll be back in the pulpit uh, the first week of January. So, so we're obviously two days away from Christmas. So it is fitting this morning for us to, to look at the account of the birth of Jesus. So if you've got your Bible, uh, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, I would like to invite you to open to Luke chapter 2 with me. Luke chapter 2. And we are going to be in the verses 1 through 21. And feel free to, to grab a Bible. There should be a Bible in the chair in front of you, so feel free to grab that. So uh, according to the wisdom of Siri, uh, my uh, smart assistant uh, who lives in my Apple devices, I, I just found out she's in your, Apple, in, your, in your devices as well. According to her wisdom, there are 7.51 billion people on the planet today. 7.51 billion people on the planet today. Now, I do not know how accurate that is, but, you know, she sounded pretty smart and convincing when she said it, so I'm going to go with that. Um, but seriously, seriously though, the reality of the matter is that each, each and every one of those 7.51 billion people, they need to know the gospel, like, like, like the greatest need for mankind, whether or not we know it, the greatest need for mankind is, is that they would understand the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we're going to take some time and look at that as it relates to the gospel uh, story. Because the reality of the matter is that we have all sinned. We have all rebelled against God. But God in his kindness has sent his son to us. So the Bible in the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 12, it says that there is, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. The name of Muhammad does not save 
The name of Buddha does not save. The name of the Dalai Lama does not save. Only Jesus Christ saves. So this is why the story of the birth of Jesus is important to us because he saves. And what happened, amen, that's right. What happened in the little town in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago is important for us to read and ponder upon this morning because reality is that that's our only hope. That's your only hope, and it is my only hope. So let's look again in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. Hear the word of God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of, of the household, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and, raped, and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. How glorious that is. Let's pray together. Father, guide us as we open your word this morning, Father. We pray, I pray that your spirit would move. Please, Lord, get me out of the way. Open the eyes of unbelievers, God. I pray that you would encourage your people this morning, God. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see how glorious you are this morning. 
Help us to, to understand and help us to treasure the gospel. I'll let your Holy Spirit work in our hearts and our minds now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the book of Luke was written by, by Luke, who was a physician. Uh, Luke is the same guy who also wrote the book of Acts. And uh, Luke mentions uh, that his purpose in writing, in writing this letter is so that this guy by the name of Theophilus might know the certainty of what he has been taught. So when we read this story, or anything in the Bible for that matter, it, we, should, we should do so. Even you, you should receive this word with a sense of certainty. The reality of the matter is that the Bible, this is, this is not made up. These are not made up stories. And our culture, in our culture, it is easy for us to hear and to accept many stories that are not true even this time of the year. But not with the Bible. You know, this is truth. You know, this is real right here. So again, like I say, when Luke starts writing the gospel in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 1, it says there, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty. So you see there, that, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke makes it pretty clear that, that he is not only, that, he, that he's not the only one really. He's not the only one who has written or given an account of the things that have happened concerning Jesus. In fact, we know that we have other gospel accounts that tell us about Jesus. We've got the gospel of Mark, the gospel of, Ma of Mark, Matthew, and John that tell us about the, the work of Jesus Christ. But, but here, particularly in Luke, he makes it pretty clear that, that what he's writing is real. Like, like, these are things that really happened. This is not made, made up. They were, they were eyewitnesses to these things. Like, there were other people as well who had, who had spoken about these things. There were people that had written about these things. So, so in this account that we just read, let us not miss the fact. Let us not miss the fact that these are real historical events. They can be a disconnect, especially with culture, and we hear about so many different things, and, and, and we miss the fact that these are real historical events. So how he starts in Luke chapter 2 particularly, if you look there in verse 1, you know, it says that in those days, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. So again, don't miss it. Even in, in those two words, those days, like those are real days. So there are some people, again, in our society who try to convince us that this, these are myths, but, but they're not. So here is my approach this morning. What I want to do is I want to give us three characteristics of God. Like when we open up God's word, you know, God speaks to his people through his word. And he reveals his character to his people through his word. So what I want to do now, I want us to look at three characteristics of God that we learn from the Christmas story. Okay, three characteristics of God from the Christmas story. So let me go ahead and give them to you, okay? So this is the summary of the three points that I'm going to go over. Okay, number one, we're going to see that God works all things according to the purpose of his will. Okay, 
God works all things according to the purpose of his will. And then number two, we're going to learn that God is our Savior. God is our Savior. So we're going to look at that. And then number three, we're going to see that God is glorious. God is glorious and he deserves our praise. So let's start with number one. God works all things according to the purpose of his will. So it is pretty tempting. It is pretty tempting to look at this passage of Scripture and the things that are mentioned here as a coincidence. You know, you may be tempted to think that it was a coincidence that Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. You know, you may be tempted to think that it was a coincidence that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Or that this decree that we hear went out from Caesar Augustus, who was a very powerful ruler at the time. But the reality of the matter is that there is no such thing as a coincidence when it comes to God's ways. No such thing. In fact, it is not a coincidence. It is not a coincidence that you are here today. It is not a coincidence that the kids are sitting in here today. God, in his mercy, and God in his sovereignty, he has allowed you to be here this morning to hear me. Rather, to hear his word. So about 700 years before the the text we just read here, the prophet Micah had made a prophecy that the Messiah would be born in in Bethlehem. So if you look in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says there, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from, from ancient days. So that's a prophecy that's talking about where Jesus is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And, and right around the same time that Micah was prophesying, there was also another prophet by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah also made a prophecy concerning the birth of Jesus. The prophecy of Isaiah, if you go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, it says there, For to us a child is, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his household on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Isaiah also prophesied that the Son of God would be born of of a virgin. So if you look in in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So think about it. Like, like these prophecies were given 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. Like 700 years before he was born. And it, it, it happened exactly the way God intended it to. So, so you see that just like it was an ordinary day. 
using ordinary people just like you and me. God was actually showing his creation that he is the sovereign God who works all things according to his purpose. You know, Caesar Augustus did not realize that he was actually, you know, he thought he was the man. He thought he was like giving this decree out. But Caesar Augustus did not realize that he was being moved by the Spirit of God to do exactly what he did, exactly when he did it, to, to effect the result that God wanted. And when he called for this decree, you know, his intention, obviously, from the text, was to register his subjects. But Caesar did not realize that. He did not realize that he was being overruled by God for his purposes. God in his mercy, and God, in his sovereignty, was actually using this decree to bring Mary and Joseph from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecies that were uttered by Micah and Isaiah 700 years before they happened. Wow, that's amazing. Can you imagine, like, like right now, somebody coming to you and telling you something is going to happen in 700 years? You'd probably laugh at them, but not with God in his ways. Like, like these were said, and this became true. This was part of God's plan of redemption to save his people then and now. So perhaps you may be here today on this very ordinary day, listening to this very ordinary sermon from a very ordinary man. And some of you may be thinking that you're here because your parents made you come to church this morning. Or you may be thinking that I'm here because my spouse made me come or my children made me come or my friends made me come here today. But the reality of the matter is that it is God's will for you to be here today. In the Christmas story, we, we, we see God's plan of redemption unfolding. You know, everything happened. It happened according to the purpose of God's will. So if you can, please turn with me in your Bibles to, to the book of Ephesians. Let me show you something in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. So the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church at Ephesus. And uh, after his greeting, this is what he says in verse 3 to 12. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to what? According to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to what? According to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to what? According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who, are, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So do you see that? 
You know, three times here, three times in the text, three times Paul is reminding the Ephesians that the plan of redemption unfolds according to the purpose of God's will. I mean, you see there in verse 5, you see it in verse 9, you see it in verse 11. So everything that happened, happened the way it did here for, for a reason. And that Jesus Christ, you know, he could have been born in, in Nazareth, but he was not. You know, Jesus could have been born in a palace, but he was not. You know, the angels, they could have announced his birth first to kings or to the high priest, but no. The announcement was first made to these poor shepherds. So, so we see in this story right here that God works all things according to the purpose of his will. So remember that, that whatever may be going on in your life this morning, that God works all things according to the purpose of his will. But we also see, number two, secondly, in the Christmas story, we also see that God is our Savior. God is our Savior. So the deepest need for mankind, whether we know it or not, is, is our salvation. So you go back there again to Luke chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's the Savior. So the default then for the 7.51 billion people in the world is that we are all sinners apart from the grace and mercy of God. But, 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 by God's grace, a Savior came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, that is good news. The Bible teaches us that in the beginning, God created everything out of nothing. He spoke and it was. He poured out the oceans, and they were. He raised up the mountains, and they were. He created all things from the very smallest atoms to the most exquisite galaxy that we can imagine. And we hear that God, when he created man, he created man in his own image. And he was good. But unfortunately, things did not stay the same. The reality is that the goodness of creation, sadly, only lasted two chapters in the Bible. Two chapters. The goodness of men, men lasted two chapters in the Bible. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see sin entering the picture. And we hear that word sin. And we hear it so much that we can be so dull to it. Let us not be dull to understanding our fault, sin. According to the Baker Illustrated Bible Dictionary, sin is defined as a failure to conform to God's law in thought, in feeling, in attitude, in word, in action, in orientation, and, and nature. So in this definition, it must be remembered that God's law is an expression of his perfect and holy character. And it says here, it says, so sin is not merely the violation of an impersonal law, but rather it is a personal offense against the created God. 
Let me read that again. Sin is not merely the violation of an impersonal law, but rather it is a personal offense against the creator, God. And ladies and gentlemen, we have all done this. You have done it. I have done it. We have all failed to conform to God's law in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions. And we are, we are born like that in our nature. We have all sinned and we have all personally offended the holy God, our creator. And because of this, ladies and gentlemen, man is in a hopeless state apart from Jesus. Man cannot save himself. But it is only, it is only God who can save us. No amount of work, no amount of effort can save you. It is only God who can save you and me. And this is why Jesus Christ came. No, he came because human beings are born sinful by their very nature. And this sin, ladies and gentlemen, is infinitely, infinitely offensive to God because God is infinitely holy. This sin separates mankind from, from God. So we need to be saved from our sins or else we remain under the just wrath of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, We have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But what does it mean? What does it mean that we have all fallen short of the glory of God? Well, by nature, God is infinitely holy. Like, he's just not holy. He's infinitely holy. And he's infinitely righteous. And he's infinitely just. But all human beings, you, you, you and I, without Jesus, without Jesus, we are not holy. We are not righteous. We are not just. And the reality of the matter is that our sin alienates us and it separates us from our holy God. So because God is holy and because God is righteous and because he's just, the reality of the matter is that he must rightly judge and punish sin. He must rightly judge and punish the sin. In the King James Version in, in Psalm 145 verse 17 it says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy is all his works. But the reality is that you and I, we, we are not able, we are not able to bear the punishment of sin. The eternal wrath of God, the eternal wrath of God that we deserve, we cannot bear it. So Jesus, who is, who is eternal, he humbled himself. He became a baby. Like Jesus Christ, God's son, he existed with God the Father in eternity past. And it was God's plan before the foundation of the world to send Jesus Christ to come to redeem human beings from the power and the penalty of sin, which is death and internal separation from God. Jesus, 
Jesus Christ. He is the only one. He's the only one, brothers and sisters and friends, he's the only one who can appease the wrath of God because he was fully man and because he was fully God. And in order for him to take away the eternal punishment of sin, he had to be the eternal God-man who was substituted on our behalf on the cross. Like he was substituted for you and me, like, like you and me, we deserved to be on the cross to bear the wrath of God. But, but praise God that he, Jesus Christ did that. And Jesus Christ, he died for the sins of humanity past. He died for the sins now. And he dies for the sins in the future as well. And in doing so, he provided the way, the way for us to be reconciled back to God. Oh, praise God for that. Praise him for that. A well-known verse, or verses, rather. John chapter 3, verse 16, verse 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Praise God. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So don't forget it. That, that the sweet baby that was lying in the manger would one day die on the cross on behalf of his people. His tiny little head would one day be thrusted by a crown of thorns. His soft and tiny little hands would one day be pierced by nails. One day. And one day he would hang on a cross. And his blood would be shed as a sacrifice for you and me. He would die on the cross. But praise God that he would rise from the grave. He would conquer sin. He would conquer death. Praise God that right now, right now, even as you sit in your chair right now, that he's seated on the right hand of God the Father. Praise God that he will come back again to judge the living and the dead. Praise, praise God. And it is necessary, though, that we remember that this, this gift of salvation that, that we are learning about, it is only possible by the grace and mercy of God through his Son. I've said this before, I'll say it again. It is not good works. It is not merit. But it is the grace of God alone. Through faith in the work of Jesus Christ alone on the cross that saves us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 to 9 says by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God's, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So remember that, though, that, that, that it is by faith, it is by faith, it is by repentance that we receive the gift of salvation. When we hear the gospel, this good news that we, we are reading about, which is the message that Jesus Christ, has, what he has done on our behalf, it is necessary. It is necessary, then, that we turn away from our sins and we, we place our faith and we place our trust and ultimately we place our hope in God. But praise God, though, that, that even this faith, even this faith, even this faith that is required of us is a gift from God. The faith itself is a gift from Him. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 20 says, Repent therefore and, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. So I urge you today, I urge you today to repent. Maybe you are here today, and maybe you are living in willful rebellion against the holy God. Let me remind you that the reason why Jesus came was to make it possible for you and me to repent. So our second point through repentance, through faith, again, was that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And we see that even in the name of Jesus. Jesus means Lord is salvation or Jehovah is salvation. So we have seen that, number one, that God works all things according to the purpose of his will, and number two, we've seen that God is our Savior. And then, number three, let's look at the fact that God is glorious and he deserves our praise. So I want you to see in the text again, if you go back to Luke, there in verse 9, it said, An, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the what? And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So there was no doubt to the shepherds that something glorious was happening here. And ladies and gentlemen, please, please hear me. Hear me now that something glorious is being celebrated in two days from now. So let your response be praise. And there's no question that the, 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 the God of the Bible if you, if, you, if you open up this book and just read it, you see how glorious he is. Like if you, if you read it over and over again, the glory of God is mentioned. For example, in Psalm 113, verse 46, Psalm 113, verse 46, it says, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above what? The heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on, on the heavens and the earth? So let us not miss it. That God is glorious. That God is so beautiful. That God is so honorable. That God is so majestic. That his glory is really beyond our human understanding. There are not enough words in the entire universe to describe his glory. And for that, ladies and gentlemen, he deserves all the praise. 
I mean, just think about the things that we, we glorify and praise in our lives. Like we are more excited about our football games than we are about the glory of God. But you see there in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. And then you look in verse 20, you know, because of this glory, you know, we see the shepherds, you know, they are returning after they have seen Jesus. And what are they doing? It says they are glorifying and they are praising God for all they had heard and seen. So I invite you to make this your response as well. You know, I hope that this Christmas season, more than anything else, like more than anything else, that instead of us praising and glorifying even the gifts that we're going to get this Christmas season, let us glorify and let us praise the giver, God, almighty, mighty God. He's the giver of all things and he deserves all praise. Let us have the, the attitude and the affections of Mary. Like, like right before Luke chapter 2, in Luke chapter 1, we, we see there, uh, we, well, well, let me say this. Like the angels, you know, we see the angels are praising God, right? And we see the shepherds are praising God. Because what? Because he's glorious and he deserves all praise. And as I get ready to, to close, let me read uh, the response of Mary. So Mary, right before this chapter we just read, she visits her cousin Elizabeth while she's pregnant with Jesus. And uh, through the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth affirms that she's pregnant with the Lord Jesus. And she responds with praise to God. So, so listen, uh, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 50. And listen to the praise of Mary. Like, like we could all learn here. Okay? So Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Oh, let that be our cry. Let that be our cry. Let that be our praise. That we would say, my soul magnifies the Lord. That we would say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So let us praise and glorify him like that. So one of my favorite hymns, one of my favorite hymns that I love to read that just remind me. Because the reality of the matter is, after we, we live here, we will be distracted today. Even in two days, you will be frustrated with traffic. You will be annoyed hearing, can I get my present now? <laughs> but the reality of the matter is we art to remember, even in our hearts, even in those moments, to rejoice. So let me read one of my favorite, if not my favorite hymn. Uh, it was written by Philip Bliss in 1875, and I know we sing like a contemporary version of it. I am going to read the original version. The song is called, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name 
for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, helpless, we. Spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring. Then I knew his song will sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray. Oh God, hallelujah, you are our Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is merciful and that you are a God who is good to us in sending your Son, Jesus, to us. So God, I pray that our souls, like, like Mary here, we would magnify you this Christmas season. May our spirit rejoice because you are God, our Savior. And God, we thank you that, that you work all things according to the purpose of your will. So God, would you please, would you please transform our, our hearts through your word and by your spirit alone. May you be glorified, O oh God, in all the things that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.